Hey there, this is Zach from Cornerstone Assembly in Truro, Nova Scotia. Thanks for checking out this message. If you're looking for more information about our church, check us out online at truerochurch.ca. Now to the message. There's an awesome quote we started with last week. I just want to look at it again. This great line. Can we put that up on the screen from Corey Ten Boom? This quote just says, If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Why? Because they both have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to others, and even to your own soul. What I've begun to realize is that everyone, everywhere, always is busy. That teenagers are busy, kids are busy, parents are busy, seniors are busy, empty nesters are busy, single moms are busy, working dads are busy. No matter what race, demographic, lifestyle, all of us everywhere always are busy. And last week we talked about this. We talked about the, the hurry sickness that so many of us seem to experience in our everyday life. This hurry sickness and as a result that it has on our own souls. And if you missed it, I'd really encourage you to go online, listen to it on our podcast. We have a podcast online every single week where we record these messages and you can find them on the website. If you missed it, I'd really encourage you to check it out online. You don't want to miss this. You can also download it, have it on your phone on Apple Podcasts, listen to it in the car ride to work or wherever you're traveling someplace else. I really don't want to miss this one because you really need to understand how pervasive hurry sickness is in your life and mine. Granted, there is a good kind of busyness. There's a good kind of business where our life is filled with with things that matter, things that fulfill us, things that actually help us not waste it on empty leisure. Uh, But but, by this measure, Jesus was busy. Jesus lived a busy life. He lived a full life. But for most of us, that fulfilling kind of of busyness is not the busyness that, that we're living in. The kind of busyness that we're experiencing is the perpetual busyness that causes us to rush from one place to the next, causes us to rush always in a hurry from one thing to another, living our life in a hurry. But as long as we're doing that, as long as we're, we're rushing around from one point of place to another, we're never going to truly experience the life and joy and peace of Jesus that he has designed for you to have. Jesus described that life in this way. He said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this, I have come that they may have life and may have it to the full. God's desire for you is that you would experience love, joy, and peace rising within your heart in every situation, in every single circumstances. In the New Living Translation, it says this, my purpose is to come and to give them what? A rich and satisfying life. A life filled with love and deep, meaningful relationships. Man, a life that just has this deep, unrelenting joy that rises in our hearts. A life filled with peace and grounded on the bedrock of peace. Man, that is the life that God has designed for you to have. But if Jesus said that this is the life that God wants for us to have, why is it that so many of us are failing to experience this? I picked up this book a couple weeks ago that we started with in that short video called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And uh, if you know me, you, you know I don't like reading. You know I, I don't really enjoy sitting down for a long read. It's just not, not my wiring. I can't really do it. But, but this book really captured my attention. And it's all about this issue of, of eliminating hurry from your life. And he suggests, and I agree, that the reason why so many of us 
fail to experience this rich and meaningful life that Jesus has called us into is because of one simple enemy in life, and that is hurry. He suggests the reason why we're failing to experience the love and the peace that Jesus has called us into is because we're in a hurry. I mean, think about it. The next time you're hurrying out the door with your kids, you're you're rushing to an appointment, think about it. Are you acting in love? Or think about next time you're, you're late for another meeting, you're, you're, you're hurrying past you, you're driving down Roby Street and someone in front of you is going slow and you're trying to pass them because you need to get to your meeting because you're late. Do you find joy rising in your heart in that moment? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> and do I even need to make a case for peace? I mean, really. I mean, next time you're in a hurry, running behind... Just pay attention to your soul. Do you feel the deep peace of God, the bedrock peace welling up in your heart as you're rushing out the door to get to your appointment? Probably not. Why? Because hurry is incompatible with love, joy, and peace. So how do we get back to this? How how do we get back to this, this, this deep and meaningful life that Jesus has called us into? How do we find ourselves in this place that Jesus wants us to live in? How do you and I unhurry? What I want to do this morning is, is look once again at the lifestyle of Jesus. I want to look at the lifestyle of Jesus because if there's anyone who was busy, it was Jesus. I mean, you look at his schedule, you look at his ministry, you look at all the things he did, despite the crazy demands on his schedule and and the literal weight of the world resting on his shoulders, somehow, in the midst of all of that, somehow, in all of this, we just see him live with this deep contentedness and rootedness in his life. Man, you never see Jesus in a hurry. True? I mean, you don't see Jesus, like, on his iPhone, texting Martha, kind of not paying attention, you know, half of one eye, just talking to her, and like, Martha, why are you here? Get out of the way, you know, I'm just, I, I gotta be someplace, don't you know? You don't see Jesus walking by the lepers on the road, say, sorry, I got someplace to be right now, I got too much time, too many schedules, I need to get someplace. You never see Jesus living in that way. I mean, if you just skim through the Gospels, what do you see instead? You never see Jesus in a hurry, because he was absolutely brimming with love, joy, and just this grounded, secured peace in his life. And everywhere he went, everyone he talked to, whatever he touched, it just overflowed and just spilled out of his life. So what did Jesus understand that so many of us miss? So if Jesus was in a rush, if Jesus was busy, how did he unhurry? And how can you and I experience that kind of love, joy, and peace in our lives every day? Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at the answer here this morning. Mark chapter 2, we get this little story where Jesus gets in trouble. Now, right of you, some of you guys right away are saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Jesus got in trouble? He's the son of God. How could Jesus get in trouble? Actually, yeah, he got in trouble quite a bit because Jesus came to correct all the wrong ways of thinking and all the brokenness that you and I have come to just assume is normal in our lives. And he challenged these systems of thinking. And as a result, he caught flack for that pretty often. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, we see this specific issue where Jesus gets in trouble once again. So let me paint the picture for you. It's a lazy Saturday afternoon. 
and Jesus is with his friends. He's with his buddies, and they're going for a walk together. They're walking up in a, in a grain field, you know, like as you do. You're going for a hike on a, on a day off together. And as his friends and, and Jesus, the disciples, they're walking through this field. The disciples, what they're doing is they're, they're grabbing the, the heads of the grain off the top, and they're just picking them off, and they're doing this in their hands. They're rolling, rolling the grain in their hands, and maybe they'll pop one into their mouth and suck on it for a bit and chew on it and spit it out and then carry on and pick the grain like that as, as they're walking through the fields. And it was this exact practice that the religious leaders, the religious people, took issue with. It was, it was this exact thing that got Jesus and his buddies in trouble. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, we read this. That one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, what is the Sabbath and why is this such a big deal? So, Sabbath. Sabbath was this sacred day of the week built into the Jewish calendar for rest and for worship. The, the word Sabbath literally means to stop. It literally means to, to be still, to, to just set aside, slow down time every week, to just hang out with friends, to, to eat, to, to pray, to exercise. It was a day for celebration, a day of food, a day of family. It was a day that you just would spend time with laughter and love and just rejoicing, just taking delights in God's creation alongside other people. That's what Sabbath was. Sabbath was this entire day set aside to just to stop wanting, stop working, stop worrying, and to simply just rest. And the Sabbath was really important to Jesus. I mean, you can read the rest of the Gospels, and you'll see it in your own time, that there's many stories about Jesus on the Sabbath. Man, this was a core practice for Jesus of stopping for 24 hours every week. This was built into the rhythm of Jesus' life. I mean, just see it. More than once, we read these stories of the disciples actually having to wake Jesus up because he was sleeping in on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't you like to know that, Jesus, in your life, right? You know, he's sleeping in. More, more than once, every chance we get, we see Jesus, he would enjoy a nice long meal with some friends. He would, he would create space for in-depth conversations about real issues in life, the highs and lows. Man, Jesus would attend parties. He would go to meals. He'd hang out late at night. Every single week, he would set aside an entire day for this, just to do these things. He called it Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but I like this Jesus. <laughs> you know, eating well and sleeping in. Who wants more of that in their life? I mean, really? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, Jesus practiced the Sabbath every single week. But on this particular Sabbath, Jesus got in trouble with the religious people because of the way that his friends were celebrating the day off. You see, the religious people had taken this beautiful day off of the Sabbath of rest, and they turned it into this heavy and burdensome thing. They had, had taken, they'd taken the focus off of all the good things that you get to do, and they put the focus on all the bad things you weren't allowed to do. And so instead of celebrating these things, they, they got after people for breaking rules, like, you know, like harvesting grain, like picking little things of grain off. They get after Jesus and his friends. But in doing this, they were royally missing the heart of God for them in the Sabbath. They were totally missing the point. And this loving rebuke, Jesus simply says this to them in verse 27. He says this, Then he said to them, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, this life-giving, soul-reviving, rest-filled day off was intentionally created for you. Catch this. Don't miss this this morning. The Sabbath was made for you. In college, I had a pretty big workload, and especially in fourth year, when I got to the end, I did not practice the Sabbath. Certainly didn't at all. I, I actually felt very guilty about taking a day off at that point in time in my life because I had a lot of responsibilities, as many of us do. I had papers to get done. I, at, at this time, this was before Vanguard had made some changes, and so man, I had 50 assignments to get done in a semester. It was overwhelming. I had responsibilities to volunteer in my church to get hours. I, I had a part-time job that I was working to pay for my own life. I was student council president. I was overseeing extracurriculars for the school. I was newly married, so I was spending time with my wife at home. Man, my life was so filled that whenever I took time off in an evening, I felt guilty. I felt restless. I felt anxious. Why? Because I, I felt like I was falling behind. And I, I tender to guess many of us in this place probably feel that same way when we take a day off. In some way, we feel like, man, I should be more productive. I should be accomplishing something. I should be, I should be working. Man, I could be doing dishes right now. Man, I could be mowing the lawn right now. Man, I could be working some extra shifts to make a little bit more money right now. I, I could be doing everything. And when we take a day off, there's something deep inside of us that feels restless. Why? Because our culture now more than ever is screaming at us that unless we work harder, buy more, do more, achieve more, we will never truly be happy. I mean, let's just take a look at advertising for a second. I went online. And let's throw this up on the screen. I went online, and I found some pictures from an Ikea ad of, of some people uh, online. And, uh, you know, they're just talking about these, these different things you can get. And you, see, you can see these in, all these in all these furniture ads, all these home ads. I mean, just pay attention to ads that you see everywhere. Maybe with the exception of alcohol and cars, most ads look like this. You know, beautiful people in this amazing picturesque home. No kids, of course. There's never any kids in the ads, right? Um, and they're, they're sleeping in. There's sunlight through the windows. They're, they're happy. They're smiling. Look, look he's, got, he's got a guitar there. I mean, look at that. He's going for a run. I mean, who goes for a run on their day off? I mean, really, right? I mean, seriously. I mean, there's, there's all these amazing things going on. And what I love about all these ads that they show us in line, what are they all pictures of? They're all pictures of Sabbath. They're all pictures of Sabbath, of stopping, of resting. They know you don't have this. And there's something deep in your soul that aches for this. And here's the catch. It can be yours for the low, low price of $39.99. Let me sell it to you. I'll sell you what you don't have. I'll sell you rest. But the irony is, you don't need a bathrobe or a, a comforter or a, a guitar to, in order to Sabbath. You don't need to have these things in order to experience the rest and the fullness of life that God has designed for you to have. You just need to take a day off to stop, to rest, and just to 
to breathe again. You see, Jesus, he understood this was more than just a religious practice. This was a way of living that addressed the very restlessness within our souls that we are all so driven by. You see, the practice of Sabbath, it was absolutely central to life of Jesus. If we want to look at a, a dissection of the life of Jesus, Jesus, how were you so at peace? How were you so joyful? How were you so grounded and centered and unhurried? I'm certain he would say, I take Sabbath seriously. It is central to his life, central to his presentness in the moment. Because for Jesus, Sabbath was more than just a religious practice. It was central to a healthy existence. And for him, he believes it's built into the DNA of the universe. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, turn to page one. Page one of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. I love it every time I get to say this. You see, the story of the Bible goes all the way back to creation. The story of the Bible begins with God speaking life and order into darkness and into chaos. Purpose and order into chaos. Beauty and meaning into darkness. And he's still doing these things today. He's still speaking beautiful life and order if we give him the chance to do so. Just as we did this morning. Take a moment. Let him speak. He's speaking more than you realize. And in verse 1 of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, we read this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Wonderful line. And he does this amazing creative work for six days, skim through all of that. You can see the great, amazing things he's done. Now flip the page over and jump to the end of the chapter, verse 31. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. I mean, this is the equivalent of like a busy Saturday morning in your house where you've just like been super productive, man. You mowed the lawn, you did the dishes, the laundry's done, you made meals for the week, everything looks amazing. Now you sit back on the couch, put your feet up on the coffee table with a hot drink of tea, and you're thinking, yeah, it was very good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody want some of that in their life, (laughs) right? Seriously, even God does this. He works hard, and then he stops and says, yeah, this is very good. Now go over one more verse, chapter 2, verse 1. So, the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Did you see, did you see what God did? God rested. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm not really into Sabbath. You know, I'm, I'm an extrovert, and I really like to be around people, and God rested. Well, yeah, you know, I get the Sabbath, but I, I just work a really demanding job. I just really love, and just, I, I can't really take much time. God rested. Yeah, but, you know, I got two little kids at home, and, well, maybe later, at a different stage of life, God rested. Do I need to say this again? I mean, the creator of the universe felt it was important to stop his work and rest. Jesus, the Son of God, stopped and rested. So why do we think we can get away without this? I mean, the reality is we can't. The reality is when we try, we see the results of busyness as burnout and hurry sickness in our lives. We get stressed out, messed up, disconnected souls. 
But Jesus invites us into something better. He, he invites us into something so much richer. And he actually, he models it for us. He, he models the grounded, unhurried life that we crave for. He, he models that peace-filled, unshakable existence that no matter what you're experiencing or facing in your school, in your workplace, in your home life, no matter where you are, you just have this grounded steadiness in your heart. Why did Jesus have this? What allowed Jesus to live such a healthy, grounded, peace-filled life? The answer is far more simple than you'd expect. Jesus practiced Sabbath. Or, if we want to put it in modern-day language with my little whiteboard over here. Jesus lived with margin. And in doing so, he demonstrates to us the life that you and I can actually experience if only we would stop. You know, margin is this thing that I think we, has become a really big pop culture thing in the last couple of years. It's really big in the executive world. You know, this idea of, of, of scheduling things into your life that you want to work and strive towards. These, these certain goals and things that you have in your life. So say, for instance, you want to have a day for, for skiing. You, you put it in four weeks from now, and you work backwards from that date. And you, you arrange everything in your schedule so that you can go skiing on that day. Or say, for instance, you have a goal for yourself, like I want to go to the cottage with my family. So you put that into your calendar, into your schedule, and then you work backwards from that to fill everything else up in. It's a fixed hour schedule. And Margin is very similar to that. Now, some of you might be saying, Zach, what, what is margin? I, I don't understand. I've never heard this term before. Well, uh, from this book, the Unhurried, or uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer defines margin as this. Margin is the space between your limits and your load. If you're writing notes this morning, write this down. You're not going to want to miss this. If you're not writing notes this morning, write this down. You're not going to want to miss this. This margin is the space between your limits and your load. It's the space between the limits of what we can carry and what you actually carry every day. So think about it like this. Think about it like this. You've got your, your, your load on your life. And every single time you add a responsibility, every time you add a, a task, every time you add a commitment to your life, it just begins to add to your load of what you're able to, to bear and to hold on to. So say, for instance, you know, work. You've got your job, of course. I mean, those are, these aren't bad things. They're just things in life. So you've got some work. I have to go to my job for 40 hours a week. So there's some, some load on my life. Then you, then you start to add a couple extra things in there. You get home, and, well, I've got, I've got chores to get done, stuff like that. And so I've got some extra load that starts to add on to my life. And you know, I've still got quite a bit of room before I reach my limits. But then we start to, what we start to do in, in, in our busyness and our hurry sickness is you begin to add more and more and more responsibilities. So we say, well, I've got the kids' soccer practice and volleyball practice and, and, and sports practice. Oh, I've got band practice now, and I've got to get this thing done. And now oh, I've got another commitment and another commitment and another commitment. And before you know it, the space between your limits and your load is almost nothing. The space between your limits and your load is almost non-existent. Listen, we add these things to the load that we carry... All of us have a limit. For some of us, our limit is just naturally a little bit higher than others. Certainly, there are people that I would say are high-capacity leaders. But everyone has a limit. 
Everyone has a breaking point. Every single one of us has a point where the load becomes too heavy for you to carry. Too many responsibilities, too many commitments, too many things on our plate so that we are living within inches of our limit 100% of the time. And every now and then what will happen, you'll get too many things on your plates and you will go beyond your limit. Something breaks in your life. Car breaks down, death in the family, extra commitment, and your load exceeds your limit. And what is the result? Breakdown, sickness, pain, burnout. Some of you experienced this in your life. Maybe once, twice, three times, you've experienced burnout. You've experienced your load exceeding your limits. But God's desire was never for you to live this way. God designed you to live with margin. Margin is the space between your limits and your load. He says, I designed for you to live in such a way that there is space in your life for breathing. Man, some of you are running and not at 80% of capacity, but 100% capacity all the time. And it's exhausting. And you're wondering why your life is feeling so heavy and so tired. God never designed for you to live this way. The reason why some of you feel so disconnected from God, from others, and even from your own souls, is because you're living your life with no margin. You've got no space between your limits and your load. It's exhausting. God never designed for you to live this way. God designed you to live your life with margin. But this is a principle that doesn't just apply to time and commitments. Man, margin is a principle that applies to so much more, I believe, to every part of life. This applies to your finances. Are you living your margin with your finances? Like, are you saving and paying off debt? Do you have room to be generous with others and to, to, to enjoy good things in life? Or, or are you just constantly worrying paycheck to paycheck to paycheck about the next thing that's coming up? Man, this also applies to, to work-life balance. How much margin do you have in your home life? How many hours a week do you work? How much time do you spend with your family at home, just dedicated time with your spouse, with your wife, with your kids? Are you into your family at all? You know? Or, or are you always filling up this time with other things? So you work you know, 40 hours a week, and then you add on extra commitments on top of that, and so you're, you're never home with your family. If you don't guard your margin, man, life will easily overload this. Our default state is hurry. Our default state is to fill these things up because of the restlessness in our souls. But God called us to margin. God is calling us to slow down. God is calling us to Sabbath. So, so how do we do this? How do we experience this rich and meaningful life that God has called us into. How do, we, how do we begin? What does it look like to begin to live my life with margin? Well, well I believe this principle applies to, to every area of life, that, that God desires you to live with margin in every part of your life. But I want to just zero in on one aspect this morning, because I believe this is probably the greatest issue that most of us face in life, and that's simply the 24-hour Sabbath. For many of us, Man, this is something we've never done before. This is something we've actually never taken at all. We're just so accustomed to the 24-7 madness that we never stopped for a full day. And the idea of stopping for 24 hours once a week seems overwhelming. I mean, what would I do? 
Where would I go? What would I do to fill my day? We start to think immediately about the the excuses and the reasons why we can't do it. And Alandra and I have actually struggled with these same questions. As a matter of fact, we're still struggling with these same questions to to get this right. We're we're making every effort to get Sabbath right in our life. Because maybe like me, Sabbath, for you, has, has simply looked like just another day off. But listen closely. Sabbath is very different from a day off. Sabbath is very different from a day off. On a day off, you don't work in the traditional sense. You don't work for your employer, but you still work. I mean, you are, you are running to chores and errands, responsibilities. You are taking care of your house and your kids. You've got all sorts of things that you are doing in your life still. You run errands, you pay the bills, you make an Ikea run. I mean, there goes four hours of the day right there. I mean, you fill your day with errands and things that you didn't do on the other days of the week. But those activities don't make for Sabbath. So recently, Alandra and I have reframed our Sabbath through two simple questions. And I want to give you these two simple questions so you can begin to develop Sabbath practices in your life. And these two simple questions are this. Number one, is this rest? And number two, is this worship? Is this rest? And is this worship? If the answer is no, or not really, or or kind of, then we simply hold off. Because there's six other days of the week for us to do this. And, and, And we're not in a hurry, after all. I mean, what's the rush? The whole point of this is to unhurry but, but I want you to notice something. Rest and worship. Notice, notice how free and spacious and, and non-legalistic those categories are. Look, notice how open it is. Man, there's plenty of room for interpretation in there based off your lifestyle, based on your life stage, based off of your job and your commitments. There is a lot of room. There's no formula. There's no checklists. There's no things to do. And, and the beautiful thing about Sabbath is it will look different for every person in the room. Every single, it will look different for a senior than it will for a student. It will look different for a young family than it will for a working mom. The important thing is that you set side, time aside to do nothing but rest and worship. Now, people hear worship and immediately assume that means singing Bethel songs all day, uh, you know, with your hands raised in a dark room. But that's not what worship is. And that's great. I'd encourage you to do that. You know, pray, worship, listen to music. But some of you need to expand your definition of worship to include the spiritual discipline of eating a burrito on the porch. Can that turn our affection and love to God? You bet it can. You bet it can. A good meal with friends. Can that be worship to God? Yeah, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, live your whole lives as spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship. Some of you need to expand your definition of worship to include sitting around the fire with some friends. That's worship. Or or playing a board game with your family. Man, eating a good meal with some friends and laughing, anything that moves your heart to grateful appreciation of who God is and what he's given you, that's worship. That's what Sabbath looks like. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd say simply this. True Sabbath looks like four principles. If you want to write this down, I'd give you this. Sabbath looks like stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. Our Sabbath looks like stopping. Stop wanting, 
Stop working, stop worrying, stop striving. It looks like resting. It looks like finding relaxing, soul-restoring activities, things that build you up and give you life. It looks like delighting, doing things that cause you to delight in God, in others, with family, friends, food. It looks like worshiping, giving thanks to who God is from a grateful heart for what he's done for you and what he's given to us. So how do you start Sabbath? How do you, how do you cut this into your life? Well, first of all, Sabbath is a choice. Man, this will not happen by accident. Remember that quote we started with from Corey Tenboom? If the devil can't make you sin, the devil will make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Our default setting is busy. And living with margin, living with Sabbath, man, this takes an intentional act of the will. To take a choice to say, I will choose rest over other things. I will choose margin and a life of peace, a life of joy, a life of contentment over filling my schedule. It takes an active, intentional choice. Sabbath and margin takes planning. So here's how you begin. First, you got to identify the week. you got to identify a day of the week to begin Sabbath. you got to figure out what's your time frame. What day, what hour works best for you? How do you begin to work this with your family and your friends? Because this is new to many of us. I would suggest... Don't start with a full day. I would suggest start with an afternoon. Start with a morning. Start with 12 hours. See if you can cut 12 hours into your schedule. Where you're saying, I'm going to do nothing but rest and worship for 12 hours. Because, you know, Saturdays might be a good day for you. You know, Alandra and I take Saturdays because, I mean, we, Sundays for me is a work day. I mean, I could, this, is, this, is, this is work for me, you know? So I don't, I don't get a day off on Sundays, but I do get a day off on Saturdays, and we cut those times in. But for you, Saturdays might not work for you because, you know, it's, it's a day of, of sports activities. You got, a, you got chores around the house. You got shopping that needs to get done. Saturdays is your day to get stuff done. So for you, Sundays actually might be a little bit slower, naturally. Maybe Sundays are the day for you. The first step is you, you got to pick your day. You got to pick the day where you can actually stop and slow down. But second you got to begin to think through and plan your day out. you got to begin to go through that framework. And remember, for all those A-type personalities in the room who are already planning and stressing out about how am I going to figure this out, relax. Take a breath. This isn't a checklist. This isn't a to-do list. This is some simple framework questions. How will you rest? How will you stop? How will you delight? How will you worship? Consider what life-giving practices you can incorporate into your day. For me, one of my favorite things to do on Friday afternoons or Saturday, I'll go to the gun range. <laughs> I love that. I get to just take my guns in my car, drive out to the range. I got an hour drive there, an hour drive back. I'll listen to a podcast. I'll put some music on. I'll walk up and down the range. I'm practicing my skill. That is so relaxing for me. It's so life-giving to me. And as I'm going, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm like listening to preaching and sermon podcasts. I am worshiping as I'm shooting my guns. Hallelujah. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> it seems super weird, doesn't it? But some of you need to expand your definition of worship to include practices like that. To include practices like laughter with friends and doing things silly. Alandra and I on Sabbath will make pizza from scratch. Or we'll go for a walk. Or we'll play a board game with friends. These are not hard and fast rules. The point is you are just delighting in God. This is, this is God's heart for you. Understand me this morning. Do you really realize what your pastor is preaching at you? Your pastor is preaching for you to take a day off. 
Come on, somebody in the room need to hear this today? God's heart for you is that you would rest, not strive and work your butt off, but actually come to a place of stillness and contentment where he can restore your soul. This is going to look a little bit different for every single person in the room. Only you can really know what it's going to look like. But I promise you, I promise you this. I promise if you practice Sabbath, if you will live your life with this margin, if you will build these practices and principles into your life, I promise you will begin to discover the peace and the joy and the life of Jesus slowly becoming your own. Because those that want to experience the life of Jesus are those that walk in his ways. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. As we come to an end this morning, I want to end on an immensely practical note. An immensely practical note. This is far more, far, far less preachy, far more teaching. As the, as the band returns this morning, I just want to share a little bit of experience, things I've, I've learned and studied and what it looks like. And I've actually included this in that workbook that you received this morning. If you, who's got a red workbook? Would you hold it up? Hold up the red workbook if you've got one. Yeah. There you go. Great. If you didn't get one, grab one on the way out. This is a really good resource I want you to have. And the last page of that book is a whole list of ideas that you can do with your family to practice Sabbath on your day out, the last day there. And this is going to look like a whole bunch of different things based on your life stage and where you are. It's funny. As you read through this list, man, pay attention to how your soul responds within you. Because more than you realize, your cravingness. This is built into your DNA. On the seventh day, God rested, and he blessed this day, and he made it holy, and he said it's set apart for this purpose and for this reason. So what can Sabbath look like in your, in your life? For young families, man, put together a box of toys, plan a special meal, read through the Bible, take a walk with your kids, commit to not doing chores, maybe single parents, see if you can get someone in the community who's willing to hang out with your kids for a bit. Maybe parents that have kids, maybe put them down for a nap for a bit so you can have a nap for a bit. Single people, listen to worship music, spend time with Jesus in meditative prayer, go for a walk, have a nap, spend time with some friends, married couples without kids. Make a meal together. Go get a couple's massage. Go for a drive. Go to the beach. Go for a hike. These different types of things we can experience. Parents with teenagers, sleep in and let them sleep in. All right? Guys, <laughs> let them sleep in. Robert, right? Thank you. <laughs> Limit the amount of screen time in your home and model this too. Put your phone to bed. Treat it like a toddler. Put it to bed early and wake it up late. Put your phone to bed so that you can have some time to actually rest and get to time with each other instead of connecting over a device. Man, explore your teen's hobbies. Explore time with your friends together. Empty nesters. Maybe you need to host a family into your home for dinner. Host someone from our church, from our community, your neighbor. Bring them over. Whatever it is to do, remember, this is not a to-do list. Sabbath is not about to-dos. No oughts or shoulds. This is just a list of restorative activities. Well, as the band begins to play this morning, would you stand with me here? I want to close with this. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, he says this. He's writing about Sabbath. He's writing about rest. He's writing about this day that so many of us will strive to enter but fail to. He says this. He says, there remains a day then, a Sabbath rest for 
for the people of God. And anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his rest. But look at this last line. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter into that rest. Isn't that funny? That rest takes work. Rest takes intentionality. Rest takes planning. This will not happen by accident. You will not by accident experience the life and joy and peace of Jesus rising in your life. It takes intentionality to stop, to slow down, to rest, to delight, to worship. And if you want to experience the life of Jesus in you, it means stopping. So how is God calling you to cut some margin into your life this week? Where do you need to start? For some of us here in this place today, man, it means dropping a commitment. It means taking something off of the list of things to do. It means saying, I need to actually stop doing something so that I can experience the life and joy of Jesus rising in my life. It means creating more space for him to actually move and work in us. It's it's a, a music lesson, a sports game, a committee a work opportunity. Maybe it's saying, I need to create space for Jesus to work in my life. For others, it means resting in a whole new way. You've been taking the day off, but you haven't been Sabbathing. You've been taking a day off and then filling it with chores and to-do lists. And so you take your day off and you go back into Monday and you feel just as worn and tired as you did going into the weekend. But God's desired heart for you is not that you would live this way. God's desired heart for you is you would experience the rest and joy of Jesus. She gets it. She gets it. I promise you, if you practice Sabbath, if you live your life with margin, you will discover the peace and life of Jesus slowly becoming your own.